Welcome to this week's NL Full Time. I'm Luke Edwards. Uh, we're still here in lockdown. It's a beautiful day outside, but we're all inside recording this. And uh, joining us, he, he's back after a couple of weeks of watching paint dry. It's Chris Pratt. Hello, Chris. <laughs> Hi, Luke. <laughs> and uh, we've also got uh, Dickie on the line. Hello, Dickie. Good morning. And uh, we've also got Tom Wang, who we've got some a special announcement on later. We'll, we'll get onto that later. He's had a, a lockdown haircut as well. Hello, Tom. Yeah, hi Luke, hi everyone. And we, we've got Radio 5 Live's chief football reporter, as he likes to be called, Ian Dennis. Hello Ian. Hello, hello all. Hello, nice. thanks for the invite. No, no, you're welcome. And the reason we've got you on is because we've been following you on Twitter intently over the last few weeks regarding the uh, the National League. It's, it's they're kind of still at an impasse and it's almost like they're waiting for what the EFL are going to do now. Is that your understanding of it? It is, yeah. They had, a, they had there was a board meeting this week, and I think there's been a real shift um, in what's going to happen with the National League from from a few weeks ago. Um, if you'd have said to me, certainly six weeks ago, what was going to happen, uh, and this was the understanding of of the National League as well, is that there wouldn't have been any any relegation from League Two, and that obviously would have impacted on on the on the National League. Um, but that has now changed, and the, and the fact is now is that the EFL are actually talking quite positively of two teams going up from the uh, the National League into League Two. Um, so they are prepared to wait, and the EFL have said that they're going to basically they're going to roll out a draft of proposals on Tuesday. There'll be clear five days before the EFL clubs have to vote. So on Monday the eighth of June, there will be finally a resolution to try and change frame, uh, changes to the framework in the, in the Football League. And the National League, after their board meeting, have decided that they are prepared to wait uh, to preserve the two promotion places. So from a, a matter of weeks ago, looking quite negative, I think, as far as the National League is concerned, for those who have got promotion aspirations, it looks like it's, uh, it's, there's a little bit more optimism. It was interesting as well to see that I think... Um... I'd say EFL are kind of open to the idea of relegating a team now. When Stevenage came out and went, hold on a minute, we quite like the fact the National League clubs can come up, but we don't want to be relegated, which which is kind of looking after their own interests. But it does look like there will be relegation from League Two as well now, won't there? Yeah, well, that was was the the, the one change, is that um, they were saying there wasn't going to be any relegation. Um, It would have still meant one team going up, because obviously to to take the place of, uh, of Bury. But what now has changed is that uh, it looks like um, two teams could be going up from the National League. The playoffs are still a possibility. The problem with the playoffs at the minute, as far as the National League is concerned, is that the testing for the coronavirus is going to prove to be expensive. But again, they're going to wait and see. Uh, and I think that they, ideally they'd like to try and copy the League Two model. Now, League Two have already agreed that they are going to um, curtail their regulation season, apply the unweighted points per game, and then play the playoffs. In an ideal world, that is something that the National League would like to try and copy. The one caveat to all this is that null and void is still a possibility in National League. That isn't the case in the EFL. The framework, you know, null and void is off the table as far as um, League Two is concerned, unless, of course, there is an alternative proposal which is drafted between now and two o'clock on Tuesday afternoon. If you were to ask me, Luke, now, I think the National League clubs, 68 of them, the majority, I think, would vote null and void. But because the National League board are waiting, they're trying to still preserve the two promotion places and it might well be that that weight of feeling changes in just over a week's time. And I actually think the credibility of the National League will benefit uh, if you still have the two teams promoted. I think if they were to take the null and void option, I think that could have damaging consequences for the National League. If you think that it was, what, 17 years ago when the playoffs were set up to try and get two teams into the Premier League, I think to lose those two promotion places could have uh, damaging implications as far, certainly as far as the credibility of the National League is concerned. 
Uh, yeah, so uh, two things really, Ian. Um, you're talking about the credibility of the National League there. Um, we had the stat last week on the podcast that of the 20, te- 20 most recent teams promoted from the National League to the Football League, um, there are more now in League One than have come back down to non-league football. Um, so the strength of the playing uh, the, of the clubs and the infrastructure is clearly there. Um, do you think there's a possibility that the EFL would look to exploit that opportunity to restrict the National League if they did take the null and void? Uh, considering that a lot of the conversation over the last few years has been going up to three clubs promoted and relegated. Yeah, I don't. I don't think. Um, I think the 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 EFL. There's been there's been definitely, and I don't know what has changed, but um, Rick Parry, uh, as far as I can aware, I'm aware, has made positive noises to enable the two team scenario for this season. Now. I know that Phil Wallace of Stevenage has talked about, you know, the, the three up, the three down, and let's get three teams up this year and we'll, we'll wait and see. Um, but the EFL are determined to maintain that relegation is applied across all divisions, and that includes going into the, uh, into the National League. Maybe, depending on how the landscape, landscape changes, Tom, and this is something I put to Brian Barwick when he was on Five Live a number of weeks ago, quite in the early stages of... Uh, of this crisis, I wondered if maybe that we could get a bit of regionalisation and maybe the National League could morph into another part of the EFL. But he said it was too early to start talking about that. But I just think that you look at some of the strength of the sides in the National League, you know, they are, there's a lot of football league clubs in there, isn't there? So I still think there is scope for the landscape to change. But at the minute, the priority of everybody is just, just to try and finish this season. I think the communication's improving all around as well over the last couple of weeks. As you say, Rick, Rick Parry's come out and he got a rare ally in uh, Steve Evans, the Gillingham manager, who said Rick Parry had shown really strong leadership on this and coming out and kind of clarifying what the situation's going to be. Yeah, I think uh, the levels of communication, certainly as far as the EFL are concerned, um, have, have been very, very good. And, and Rick Parry has tried to apply... Uh, a lot of common sense in what he's trying to achieve. And also, and, and we've seen this in the National League as well, there is a lot of self-interest at play. And at times, that the levels of self-interest are bordering on naked in terms of what people are suggesting. So the EFL in particular have listened to all of the proposals and the counter-proposals, and they've had the, the feedback if you like. They've had that consultation phase now. There is a period between now and Tuesday where if one or more clubs wanted to put forward an alternative proposal, then that might well be added to the proposed changes to the framework. But essentially what you're looking at for, unless there is this alternative proposal, the the two proposed changes will be, or the two two methods will be, if you like, for the um, for the EFL will be you either do what the championship are going to do and you play out the season as per normal or you take the model of League Two which is to curtail the regulation season and then look to play the playoffs but they've maintained that promotion and relegation have got to stay because as you know the League Two clubs had had that uh, vote and it was a majority as well that they wanted no relegation I still don't believe that Tram- uh, Stevenage will be in that position I still think there could be another twist yet depending on the points uh, potential points deduction for Macclesfield as well. So I don't think that that is particularly cut and dried just as yet either. Music to a Plymouth fan's ears, eh, Tom? Yeah, very much so. Um, you know, we've known Greens are going up all season, so that's not really too much of a shock. But I think, you know, we're not here to talk about the, uh, the, the successful otherwise of EFL clubs on this podcast. But if Stevenage weren't to go down, I think it would be a bit of a shame because they have deserved it for most of the season, to be honest. Um, do you think, though, that the EFL's decision, you've talked about the sort of the naked self-interest that has been transparent throughout, and, and that's something we discussed on the podcast. Do you think, realistically, for whatever talk of sporting integrity Rick Parry might want to put forward, the EFL's motivation in asserting that relegation must take place is because they're worried that if they don't relegate from League Two, the Premiership won't relegate into the Championship? Yeah, I, I, uh, it was a point I actually put to the EFL, because, and this was at a time when it looked like if League Two 
was to end their season. The understanding of the National League at that point, a number of weeks ago, was that there would be no relegation. And it was a point I actually said to the EFL, I said, how can you expect relegation from the Premier League and yet you're not going to relegate yourself? And I think it was a, it was a valid point and it still stands. Uh, whether the tripartite agreement between the Premier League and the EFL and the FA was to slightly muddy those waters and allow them to get away with that. But in, to be fair to the EFL and to Rick Parry, they've changed that stance. And now they are looking to try and maintain the relegation from the EFL into the National League. And if that was to happen, and depending on how the, the National League uh, reacts to whatever happens with the EFL on the 8th of June. But from the, the National League's point of view now, they will then say, well, OK, well, we'll apply the unweighted points per game formula, uh, which would mean that Barrow would get promoted and then they would look to have the playoffs. The one complication with the playoffs is the testing. You're probably looking at around, certainly if you follow the League Two model, around £70,000 to test for the coronavirus you've then got other costs that might come into it. So you might be looking in the ballpark figure of around £140,000 per club to play the playoffs. So that might still not be feasible. But the fact that we're still talking about them being a possibility and it's still being, you know, practical at this stage, and there, it changes day, day by day, I think is... is is a lot more of an optimistic scenario for those who have promotion aspirations than certainly it was four or five weeks ago. Yeah, I, I'd, I'd agree with that, Ian. I think I think casting our mind back back to back to March now, when the coronavirus caught everyone on the hop, we saw that a lot of clubs were were pushing it right up to the limit. I can remember that last round of matches when some away fans were going down, thinking, "Should I really be making this trip?" Um, and it caught everyone on the hop, really. And um, I think what we've found, what I'm interested in, I wonder whether there's a feeling whether the authorities and the clubs may have done something differently. Because as we've been talking about the, uh, the self-interest thing, if you have to ask the clubs to vote, they will vote in their their own self-interests all the time. So I'm interested whether you feel that there's a there's a feeling that the mechanisms that we've have been used so far, have been the, the correct ones, and whether things would have been done differently if they, if they had the time again? Well, it's, it's interesting is that at the very outset and the, and the time frame that you're talking about, the National League, I think, were being criticised and the suggestion was that the leadership was, was weak. And I think the leadership never felt that they were actually in a weak position. I actually think that that perceived weakness was seen as, as a position of strength. And actually, when you look at it now, in terms of the time frame and as the weeks have passed by, I think they've been vindicated in the sense now that, you're right, there is a momentum that is building within football. And by sitting back and watching how the leagues have coped and the fact that the Premier League is going to be back and the Championship will be back and League Two have shown a willingness to play the playoffs and I think League One ultimately will go down the same same route as well all of a sudden then the National League will be in a position to say well we can do what League Two can do and that momentum within football will gather pace and there might well then be a productive end to the season albeit some might say it was artificially created but if you then still have the playoffs it will still create that a sense of a climax and ultimately, it will still provide that two teams get promoted to the EFL. So I, I actually believe that when you look back at this season and the legacy, if this National League board are able to still provide two teams getting into the EFL, I think that will stand the National League uh, in, a, in, a, in a greater, greater stead, greater position than it would as if they'd have opted for the null and void. And we yeah. saw the decisions that were made in steps three and below there is then an argument to say, well, did, did they go too soon? You know, I mean, that decision was ratified by the, the FA Council, which, of course, still has to, whatever the National League decide, will still have to be, again, ratified by the FA Council. But the fact that this week the Council granted the extension to allow the playoffs to go beyond the 31st of May, 
I just think that there is that momentum now. There has been that sea change and, and that will benefit the National League. Do you think if it yeah. doesn't happen, Noe, and so you kind of say the playoffs aren't happening, Barrow will go up and they'll still upset two teams or will it just be a case of Barrow go up uh, and they leave it at that or they just go, well, the best play second team, which will be Harrogate, go up as well? Well, that that's something that, that hasn't yet been uh, been decided. And I mean, I heard a podcast during the week and Jim Parmenter of Dover, who I think I'm right in saying is on the National League board, is still believing that null and void is an option and he doesn't want Barrow to get promoted. That attitude, uh, I don't think, reflects well on the National League for a board member. But again, it's the levels of self-interest that you're, uh, we've, been, we've been talking about. But I think that if at this stage, even today, I think if you said to the clubs, right, make a decision, I think they'd go with null and void. Now, the, the board obviously is still waiting. Um, if they were to go null and void, uh, I don't know what the EFL would do because they've still got to try and compensate for the loss of, uh, the loss of Berry. So, to be honest with you, Luke, the answer to that question Nobody, I think, would have the answer. But at, the, at this stage, everybody is aligned in their thinking. Two teams to get promoted, promotion and relegation. You think you, you think Dover would want Barrow out the way with the travelling, wouldn't you? <laughs> you think they'd be rubbing their hands? But I know four clubs in the National League, uh, at least four, who would go null and void. Interesting. Um, Let me guess, he, that doesn't, sorry, doesn't include Barrow and Harrogate. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, they they're definitely uh, they're definitely voting to go up. Dicky, go on. Sorry. Yeah, it, uh, it's interesting. I mean, because the null and void scenario. I mean, I suppose that I I, I can accept to some extent why people um, feel that's preferable. But but the thing with null and void is it, it, you don't want necessarily people to necessarily get promoted unless they finish their season. But there is the thing that null and void as well invalidates teams who've had awful seasons as well which I know some people perceive as being rewarding failure as well um, and I, I just it's quite interesting as well that if the National League follow the EFL they're, not, they're only going to be able to follow in so much as um, they're not going to be able to relegate from the National League North and South because of that step three and step seven decision which has been made which you know shows you the you know there's been a, been a bit of a disconnect between um, I can understand why that decision was made but um, uh, the, the the pressures and the, and and the, the considerations I think are different and I think one of the things in the national league that's always been a bit of an issue is you've got a lot of former football league clubs and full full time clubs and then at the bottom end of the national league in the north and south you've still got teams that are very much semi professional run on a lot of volunteer bases it's 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 a difficult decision. Well, it is because I think you know that there, there, there's a split within the national league system, isn't there? That you know those in national league north. And National League South are probably closer to steps three, whereas those in the National League are closer to obviously League Two, and it's trying to get that 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 balance. But you're right about the no relegation into steps three. But of course, if you did have promotion and relegation from the EFL into the National League, then that's good news for teams such as you know a Kings Lynn, a, a York City, who have been waiting and. And I think as well from speaking to a lot of the clubs, the uncertainty to end this season is the thing that they're finding really, really difficult. And also they're not knowing about when next season is going to start. But, you know, the, the, the same problems apply in League Two and, and, and League One at this stage. So, you know, we now know that the Premier League will probably look to start around the end of August, the start of September. I've heard the middle of September for the Football League, although, again, nothing is in, has been nailed down. It's not concrete, set in stone, or anything like that. And yet, what would happen with the National League? Because I heard the Aldershot owner, who was on Radio 4 quite recently, was saying that playing behind closed doors just isn't an option as far as the National League is concerned. From an economic point of view, it probably wouldn't be sustainable for, for League Two clubs either. So there are still a lot of issues facing football outside of the Premier League, whether that's in the lower reaches of the Football League or the National League, about how they can move forward because of the various challenges that are going to face the football industry. 
I know I saw a quote this week from Anthony Johnson because I saw Southport signed a couple of players from Charlie, which I know Dickie's going to mention in a minute, um, saying, well, we can't sign or release anyone because we don't know what's going to happen. But obviously, like you say, Dickie, um, I think Charlie have kind of, they're cutting the cloth already, aren't they? Yeah, and I th- I, I, I've noticed there's been a lot more movement in the National League this week with you know teams you know becoming a bit clearer about players that they are going to retain for next season. Um, interestingly, I think Brackley are one of the teams that would still be involved in playoffs in National League North if that was to happen. But they've, you know, they've been, um, you know, extending uh, deals for players who they've had this season into next year already. But yeah, surely, you know, I think they've they're certainly a team that look like they've accepted their fate at the foot of the National League, and you know, a number of players have either um, left or, or we've had a couple of re- I think one's retired this week, and others have moved on. So. Um, you know, it wouldn't be hard to, you know, guess how they would vote, you know, if it came down to it, because, you know, they, they in their own mind, it looks like they've made the decision already. So I think, as, as was mentioned last week on the podcast, um, there's the issue around contracts. Like, some players will be keen to just get out there and play, maybe get themselves in the shop window. But then, as was mentioned last week, there's a risk of injury as well. And you, you don't want to go in. If you get injured in that last game without a contract, you kind of, you're uninsured then, aren't you? You're running that risk. Yeah, I mean, it's very hard uh, to try and equate the, the National League contracts to that of the the Football League. I know that the, the Football League had given themselves a schedule of trying to complete the season in 56 days. Now, in League One in particular, that isn't going to happen and it's going to be incredibly tight because if you think that they do decide to, to continue... Um, on the 8th of June, it's going to take them a week to set up the testing. You then got three or four weeks of training. I can't see how they're going to play it because if you go beyond the 30th of June uh, from the EFL, then it's going to complicate matters because although they're they're in the severance month where they still get being paid, you know, would players want to play when they're essentially going to be out of contract? The problem in um, in the National League, as you'll know, is that a lot of the contracts are basically 44 week contracts so they ended on the 2nd of May so you know that is um, I'm not too sure how it's going to work in terms of the contractual situation with the uh, with the play with the players so that again is is another so that the clubs might well have to uh, to address in yeah just changing tack a little bit I mean we have quite a wide listenership to, to this podcast a lot of fans but, but there's also a lot of press officers a lot of, sort of would-be football journalists and what have you how easy has it been? Because you've obviously been keeping tracks on this, uh, on these movements since it started. How easy has it been from a, a professional point of view? Have the leagues been really open with you about this? Have the have the clubs been wanting to talk about this, or has it been, has it been a bit more of a difficult one? Quite a few phone calls to to persuade people to talk, or how's how's it been following this story? I've got to say, um, the national league, that the clubs have been have been very very good, at the very. Uh, outset of it Chris um, it was partly because I was fascinated by the story and I, it was also uh, at, the, at, the, uh, at the outset it was just trying to deal with a little bit of boredom in lockdown I thought oh well I'll tell you what I'll, I'll, I'll do an unofficial poll I'll call every, every one of the clubs and um, a couple of clubs were really really helpful um, in terms of passing on numbers and I know for a fact that my unofficial poll about whether they wanted to continue and uh, and what have you caused a bit of a stir at the uh, at the National League board level. And some clubs were saying, well, we know we never spoke to the BBC. The thing is, is that I never reveal who I speak to. Um, and sometimes it might be chief execs. Sometimes, it, you know, it, it could be a variety of positions within the clubs. But I've got to say, everyone I've spoke to of the National League has, has given me my time and I've been really I've, I've found it fascinating and really enjoyable as well because I've built up a, a number of good relationships with certain people at certain clubs and sometimes we will just we'll just talk and chew the cud and it's been really really nice and, 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 and refreshing as well that uh, that access if you like at times has been difficult and a couple of people would say, well, I'm not speaking to you. Why are you, why are you phoning me? And straight away, the, 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 you can see the shutters starting to go up a little bit. and They've been a bit protective. And then I explain what I'm doing. 
and then we just talk and and it's um it's i found it really really interesting and um and, and we'll just wait and see what how it all resolves itself if you like but no i've, I've enjoyed the uh the various conversations that i've had yeah and just, just to follow up on that it's really nice actually when you've got your radio on and you're cooking your tea and stuff like that to hear the national league being spoken about at the same time as the the efl and uh and the premier league and uh it's nice that, that, that you know those involved in the national league and the non-league community feel that they're a part of that of that discussion, even if the the leagues aren't joined up. Well, I actually think that there's been so much focus in the media um, on the Premier League, and I actually think the better stories, um, or not the better stories, but they've been equally good stories in the football league and the national league. And I think we're sometimes hung up on what goes on in the Premier League. And in fact, the fact that somebody was phoning from Radio 5 and wanting to find out about the National League, I actually think that that has actually helped in terms of getting the story across because they realise that it's, it is a story. But I think it's, it's a story that they want to hear to be told as well. So I think in that sense, Chris... I think that has helped in terms of people saying, "Okay, well, we will talk to you, um, providing that, you know, I mean, I always say that I never attribute my information anyway. So the stories that uh, I've gained, I've not betrayed anybody's trust, but I've also been able to convey how people are feeling. Um, And I've, you know, I've tried to be as impartial as I can and I've tried to cover the story as fairly as, as I can and certainly try to be as accurate as possible, but then equally, I've done the same with covering how the EFL is currently trying to unravel itself from the various issues that that's facing. The other thing I would say, Luke, is that um, we talked before about the credibility of the National League. If you look at the impacts, and this is something that maybe Jim Parmenter at Dover hasn't considered, but if you look at what happened with Steps 3 from a sponsor's point of view, is that Bet Victor straight away then said, okay, we're finished. And they pulled the plug. From what I can gather, Vanarama have been extremely supportive of the National League stance. And when you've got a sponsor like that, who has got David Bernstein, who's, who's obviously involved, when you think about his football experience, I think, again, that will stand the National League in good stead. The fact that they have retained the support of its key sponsor, uh, and they are backing the stance that the National League are currently operating in as well. So when we talked before about the credibility of the National League, that's another valuable point that the National League still can draw on. That you know, Van- Vanarama have been very, very good in that respect. We talked about steps three, three down to seven then. Do you think... The league's jumped the gun a little bit there, maybe pushing the FA into, into making a decision that quickly. Well, the FA will say that, I mean, I know there's 150 clubs who, who appealed and put that protest out. And I think that's still being continued at the minute with the possibility of arbitration from South Shields. But the FA would then argue that you had over 800 clubs who didn't back that appeal and didn't protest. And I just think that the majority of the clubs wanted to end the season because they were just looking at it from a survival point of view. And when the FA Council, who ratified that decision, and there's a 102 voting members, I was led to believe that it was overwhelming in terms of the numbers that were returned. We're almost looking at the high 90s out of that 102 who backed that decision to curtail. Could they have waited like the National League? I'm not so sure because financially, I think there might have been a greater challenge on the, the clubs the lower down you go in the pyramid. Uh, and those challenges still probably uh, are, are relevant to some of the 68 clubs who are still waiting for that certainty. You know, I know File, for instance, in one of the first months of the lockdown, they lost something like £115,000 with very little money coming in. And uh, their owner was saying that, you know, if this has continued over nine, ten months, that's a million pounds that have, have been lost. So there are a lot of financial challenges being made. I still think the issue regarding when does the FA Cup start, the qualifying rounds, because we know the FA Cup final 
is is penciled in for August the first. Well, as you know, the qualifying rounds due to start in in August. So there are still a lot of issues and talking points for a number of those clubs in steps three and uh, and, and below to face. Uh, just a quick one. It's interesting you mentioned the FA Cup there, Ian, because I know I think it's been suggested earlier this week, and I don't know. I don't think it's official in any way that um, potentially you know some of the qualifying rounds of the FA Cup could be foregone for next season and it would just start at round one in November is that anything that's come up in 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 what you've been hearing well I actually asked the FA this week and just said you know what's happening about the uh, the qualifying rounds and they said the priority has just been to you know try and finish this season without worrying about next but I, I think it's something they're going to have to address because you know the FA Cup is about all the clubs that take part. It's not just about the professional clubs. And I think that if you were to, if that is the case, and I hadn't actually heard that, but that's, you know, if that is the case, then I think that um, there's going to be a, a, real, a real debate and a, and a row as well about, you know, what does the FA Cup stand for? Um, because in, in my eyes, those that suggest that the FA Cup is about every club that takes part in it. I, I would agree with that. I don't think that the, the FA Cup should be truncated because uh, if it was to do what you've just suggested, then the FA Cup would just be like the League Cup, wouldn't it? And surely, there are, surely there are other options they can investigate. And I've, I've seen the same article that you have, Dickie. Um, and, but surely there are other options they can investigate for fixture congestion before looking at, uh, as you say, in damaging, potentially you know, fatally when you look at some of the conversations that have been taking place around the future of the FA Cup, because that is what's so unique about it. You know, why would you not look at cancelling county cups for a season, for example, doing away with replays for a season? There are a number of other ways that you can reduce that fixture congestion to allow the season to potentially be shortened if necessary. Well, Mark Bullingham, the FA Chief, uh, Chief Executive, said this week that once that they'd had put in place the proposed dates for the FA Cup, he said it was all about protecting the integrity of the competition that's lasted for nearly 150, yard, uh, 150 years. I would say that protecting the integrity of the FA Cup, using those quotes, still stand for when you're talking about the FA Cup qualifying rounds. Mm-hmm. Whoever, whoever that may, may well take part in, you know, in, in August for those qualifying rounds, that principle should still be applied about protecting the integrity of the FA Cup regardless. It shouldn't just be about the FA Cup final, the quarterfinals, the semifinals for this season. The challenges that the football industry is facing, if you're going to talk about protecting the integrity of the FA Cup, then that has to be also to be protecting the qualifying rounds and for those clubs who will take great pride in taking part in the very, very embryonic stages of the competition for whichever season we're talking about. I think you you're taking the soul out of it, aren't you? If you if you don't have those early rounds, mm, I do think though, in terms of the FA Cup, that maybe you do have to bite the bullet for the coming season and not have replays. Um, that way, you can still have the, the early rounds. But idea. I think you're just going to have to say to clubs, look, you split the gate. The losers still get a fee. You won't get as much this year, um, but you can't have replays. I think that part of the problem would be from I think. Is it the 8th of August it normally starts? And then it's every other week, isn't it? Up mm. until about It's two December. weeks apart, which isn't long. Yeah. Yeah. The thing is, like, yeah. that, that isn't the fixture congestion for the, for the top flights teams. That's fixture congestion at the non-league level. There are other yeah. steps you can take to reduce it. No, no team, step three and above, are really particularly fussed about the County Cup. Realistically, yeah. they end up playing against step five and six teams or professional B teams and under-23 squads. Get rid of the County Cup next season. Like I know the historical conditions. But I think you have to enter that County Cup to be in the FA Cup. Otherwise, and that's that's the grey area. If you if you say, well, we're not we're to to ease fixture congestion, we'll we'll scrap the County Cups, and the local FAs will go, hold on, our money comes from that, mm-hmm. and then you can't enter the FA Cup. So, it's, yeah. it's yeah, it's it's difficult. I think the only logical way for me is, like, say, is to ditch replays, and as much as clubs will go, well. We'll lose out on revenue. It's like if you can decide it on the day that the prize of winning through the round is probably more than if you have to host a replay. 
and then not do, win it. <laughs> I do think, to be fair, like some of the conversation, there's a hell of a lot of conversation going on at the moment about and how we end this season. I think there's an element of naivety at some levels about how we do next season. Mm. Um, I'm looking at other sports. So obviously, as you know, my wife plays hockey at a high level. They're looking at the possibility of not playing home and away fixtures. So everyone will play everyone only once because they just don't think they're going to be able to start hockey at, at that level when yeah. they need to. Um, and, and they're looking at how to truncate the season. I think that's, that's a realistic possibility as you go down the leagues in football. Yeah. Mm. I think the, no the no replay suggestion is quite good. I think the possibility that the only thing that that might leave open is um, whether the FA might then say, well, they've already they scrapped replays from what round on was it last year mm. or the season we're just in? Whether they then say, well, look, we didn't have replays in the whole of the competition last year and let's just yeah. make that a rule for all time now. Yeah. It oh, it's the door to that, but. Mm. Oh, you scrapped the replays from the third round onwards um, because mm. realistically the non-league clubs aren't going to be in the third round. So obviously you've got more scope to do that. Um, it's an interesting one. Let us know what you think on Twitter at NL full-time. Would, would you bite the bullet for a season and, and scrap replays? Because as I say, if you can win and you win through on penalties, the prize of that is, 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 is quite a lot. Um, so I'd be interested to see everyone's thoughts on that. Uh, we did have some breaking news during the week as well. Uh, it was announced Tom Lang's going to be a beaver, aren't you, Tom? Yeah, um, it's a football-related <laughs> announcement, obviously. I'm yeah. Not, uh, <laughs> yeah, lockdown hasn't sent me quite that mad yet. Um, yeah, so I've been, obviously been getting into the football photography journey for the last couple of years and decided that it'd be nice to try and get involved with the team and see it from, you know, follow a whole season within a club. Um, and... You know, Hampton and Richmond had a great photographer before, a guy called Ben, but he's now gone to university, so he can't cover the matches. They just volunteered and taken me up on the offer. So, yeah, quite looking forward to it. It's and great as well, Russ, because it means we'll have people at every one of the National League matches across the season. Yeah, and we uh, obviously, a few of the Hampton boys listen to this podcast. So, uh, if they have a stinker, you've got it on camera now, haven't you? Indeed. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, Luke, I thought last week you were stitched up on the quiz with the hider. <laughs> I got it. To be fair, I, I got it straight away. I messaged Tom and was like, this is us, isn't it? And he was like, maybe. <laughs> and then they're all like sat going, mm. and I'm thinking, I know yeah. this. I was doing the, do you know the gif of where Homer Simpson disappears into the bush? It was like that. <laughs> I was impressed that the players got that one. I thought that was, I was all the way back to 2013-14. Yeah, yeah. I remember it well, unfortunately. <laughs> so just over a year ago, Leighton Orient was celebrating winning the National League and that culminated as well in a FA Trophy final appearance against AFC Fylde. Now that didn't quite go as well. And then sadly, just over a month after that, Justin Edinburgh, who, who led them to that National League title, passed away after suffering a heart attack. And uh, joining me to chat through all that and, and how Leighton Orient have coped since then, is uh, BBC Radio London's Leighton Orient correspondent, Dave Victor. Hello, Dave. Hi, Luke. How are you? I'm very well, thanks. It's been, uh, it's fair to say, it's been an eventful year, hasn't it, down the Orient? It's been a tragic year. I mean, the, um, the loss of Justin Edinburgh, the, the club still hasn't got over it. And uh, in many ways, um, it, it's something that I'm not sure I've ever known anything quite like it in football. Um, and... I think it's the sort of thing that brings out the very best of people. It also possibly um, shows the worst. People talk about um, late night being a family club, and I think that's probably true. And families sometimes fall out, especially after a loss. I think the club and the leadership that late night has shown has been absolutely remarkable. Uh, and I think they've done things the right way. Um, some supporters wanted the club to move on quickly. I don't think that was possible. Um, they've tried to have continuity. They've tried to show respect. There's been some amazing things happen. And in particular from Justin's family, his son, Charlie, his daughter, Cindy, and his wife, Kerry, they've set up the Justin Edinburgh Free Foundation and they're trying to raise money. They've raised a lot of money um, in order to uh, ensure that there's defibrillators. But they're not only raising money, they're looking to change the law 
They want to set up Justin's law. They want to make sure that there's a defibrillator in every single sports club. And that's a remarkable legacy. Lake Noyant have uh, named the main stand, the Justin Edinburgh stand. There's a magnificent uh, banner that now dominates that uh, very large structure at Brisbane Road, which again is the right thing to do. And that was unveiled before a home match against Newport County. And of course, Justin Edinburgh achieved promotion for both Newport County and Lake Noint into the Football League. And Luke, you know how hard that is. Yeah, and, and it, it was quite poignant that it was against Newport County. I mean, just take us back to those sort of those days after the trophy final. Obviously, we, we heard that. I mean, it must have been sort of beyond belief when you got the phone call about it. It still doesn't seem possible. And I think that's uh, when you talk to people that knew Justin well, and he was only at Lake Noyant for 18 months or so, you know, um, they still think they're going to see him again. It is quite remarkable. I think you have to say well done, particularly to the likes of um, Martin Ling, the director of football, but Ross Embleton. Ross Embleton was his number two, and it was Ross that stepped up into the hot seat. So, you know, it's a job that he didn't want under those circumstances. It was incredibly difficult for him. Um, and again, some supporters weren't as patient as possible, understanding as possibly they might have been. You can understand why. There's still some supporters that don't want Ross to be the head coach. And that position has now been uh, confirmed. And that was after a little spell when uh, Carl Fletcher was uh, in charge. But I think it just showed how difficult it was to sort of follow Justin Edinburgh because he wasn't just a, an excellent manager, he was a remarkable man. He was uh, somebody that had incredible integrity. He was somebody that was very, very funny, had enormous presence. He was somebody that would light up the room. He was someone that achieved honours, trophies with Tottenham Hotspur. We don't say that very often. Um, but again, hmm. he was a humble man. Um, and uh, you know, some that absolutely loved football, had a passion for football, was an absolute winner. And he changed the culture at Lake Noyant because not only had the O's had that terrible spell under the previous regime, there was a culture where they sort of uh, the nearly club. You know, you can see that by the number of times that they've got to the playoff finals and Lake Noyant, the sort of club that almost make it. But uh, that wasn't Justin's way. He had to make it. And uh, he was a winner. I can remember when he took over. He, uh, I think he was appointed as manager on a Wednesday. And they lost at Sully Hull on the Saturday. And Justin took absolute responsibility for that um, defeat. Absolutely, you were assured that he was the man who was in charge. And later that season, 3-0 up at home to Gateshead. They drew the game 3-0. And, uh, and you could tell how much that hurt Justin. And you could see what a good coach Justin Edinburgh was by the fact that the players that he nurtured and achieved so much, he turned a struggling side into champions. And he didn't do that by rebuilding the side. He did that by improving the side. There were some characters that didn't have the mental toughness required to be winners. Just after that Gateshead game, I can remember going up to... Hartlepool on a Tuesday night and it was a game when you know players could be on the beach because there was nothing to be played for at all and Lake Norwent lost and afterwards he was absolutely furious if there was a single player in that dressing room who didn't understand that this matters that it doesn't matter that it's Tuesday night at Hartlepool at the end of the season every single game matters and I think it was that lesson that example that was so important to the success that then followed and of course it felt like it was just the beginning at late Noent and um, you know then he had that uh, terrible cardiac arrest and um, yeah it's uh, not been the same since and all we can say is you know thank you and well done to Ross Embleton for the uh, Enormous courage that he showed because he would be somebody that was grieving as well, but he's helped others and uh, he's come under a lot of criticism. And before everything locked down, uh, late night had a little bit of a moment. Well, um, I mean, that, that's the thing we talk a lot about um, sort of the difference between League Two and the National League. Now, late night, we're, we're just in the bottom half of League Two, but they kept a lot of the same squad that got them 
promoted. Um, so would you say that was the right decision and would you say they look comfortable at League Two level? I'm just thinking if there's any sort of Barrow players, Barrow fans listening, if Harrogate, Notts County get promoted, you know, how, how will that look in League Two? Do you think they'll be, they'll be okay? But I, I'm not sure it would be fair to say it was the same team, uh, Luke, because uh, Macaulay Bond, their leading marksman, scored over 20 goals. Well, yeah. <laughs> Seasons went for you know reasonable money to Charlton Athletic, where we scoring goals. Sorry, uh, the bulk it's the, it was the bulk of the squad though, wasn't it? There's a lot of players still there well, though. It's a key. There were three key players. So McCauley Bond, you take 20 goals out of the team. You took Josh Karoma, who created a lot of those goals and a lot of the space. I think it's um, half a million pounds took him to Huddersfield Town. But the biggest loss, the biggest loss without doubt, was. Um, uh, uh, Joby McEnough, the captain, mm. who's been out for virtually the whole season, played one game, I think, in this campaign. I think if Leitnoit hadn't had those three players last season, they wouldn't have been champions. Incredibly difficult. You take 20 goals out of the team, you take away the creativity, but most importantly, you take away the leadership in uh, Joby McEnough. It's Joby that they missed more than anything else. There is a gap between the two divisions, no doubt about it. Um, I think if you look at the bottom, probably bottom eight of the um, League Two and the top eight of the National League, there's probably not a lot in it. The difference is that I think in the National League, you, you get a lot of games which aren't as competitive as possibly they might be. I think the bottom eight in the National League would really struggle, you know, really, really struggle uh, in the uh higher division. So as a result, um, you don't get, I wouldn't want to call them comfortable victories, but there are games that you'd expect to win. It's slightly different in um, League Two. I think it's a little bit more competitive. You know, um, if you look at Plymouth Argyle, for example, who probably got one of the biggest budgets, if not the biggest budgets, and the biggest support uh, in League uh, League Two together with Bradford City. Um, And look how they haven't necessarily dominated Swindon Town has spent a lot of money and got some very, very good players that have played at a much, much higher level. Um, and they are sides that um, have really splashed some cash and not necessarily got the rewards you'd expect, especially if you look at um, Bradford City. And then you've got other teams that have sort of overachieved. I think if you wanted to look at, a, at clubs that have got it right, follow clubs that have not so long ago being the promotion, I think Cheltenham this season and Exeter City have been exceptional. And so we, we've been chatting on this particular podcast about uh, what's going to happen. Obviously, EFL and League Two have voted to end the season. EFL League One aren't sure and the Championship are back in training. All this will impact on the National League. I mean, what, what's your sort of understanding of it all? Well, I'm probably not the right person to ask this, uh, lots of other people that know far more about it than myself um what i do know not least uh, sort of from my own my own profession which uh, you know i um uh, i've i'm involved with um young people that um have severe learning difficulties and 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 want a service for them and i know how difficult it is to do the risk assessments and I know how incredibly difficult it is to get the results back from uh, COVID tests. You can see why it's so incredibly expensive to put on um, matches under these circumstances. Um, the Bundesliga has been interesting. Um, it's interesting to see that, that I think it's what 213 people that they think you they require. Not any more. Yeah, 300. Not, I think it's 300, 300 the maximum, it? isn't it? Yeah. It's a strange old thing. And I just can't imagine, if you haven't got the TV money, I can't see how it's affordable. And whilst the furlough scheme was in place, there didn't seem to be an option. I think these things could change. I think these things could change very quickly. And, you know, where we are now compared to where we were back in early to mid-March when everything changed almost overnight seems incredible. Um, The things could move again quite quickly. It strikes me that uh, lockdown is unlocking almost as quickly as it unlocked. I think um, it'll be interesting to see what is happening. I think psychologically it's uh, going to be important because you know the government quite deliberately raised people's panic. That's how they achieved lockdown and uh, psychologically people need to overcome their fears. Um, and I think once people do, 
um, I think um, you know things could move towards some sort of normality. But we, what we do know of the virus is that if you're hot and sweaty, uh, are more contagious. So it is all about testing. It's making sure that all those players that do play don't have the virus. And then how on earth you can test the people that go into the football ground is uh, it's it's uh, an issue that I wouldn't want to be responsible for in terms of seeing what the next step is but um yeah hopefully one day soon we'll all be back watching football at all sorts of levels that's brilliant dave yeah and uh, as you say hopefully we're all back to normality as soon as possible Th- thanks very much for joining us and uh, look after yourself and you take care and that was dave victor and obviously uh justin Edwards was a sad loss he would have just completed his first season as late Orient manager in the efl and uh, it was a great achievement for him and uh, there's not many managers like him, is there? At the there aren't, no. And I know I had the experience of um, seeing Justin Edward quite close hand when, when Telford played Leighton Orient towards the end of last season in the FA Trophy. And I think the thing that struck me most about that was was very much the the family atmosphere that he'd seemed to have created around the club. Um, uh, you know, those, those re- obviously really strong relationships between the players and, and their actual families and everything. And, it, 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 and that, that feel-good um, factor that they had there clearly played a big part in the success that, they'd, that they created together. Yeah, I mean, he was, it was sort of well acknowledged at the time, wasn't it, that he came in on the back of a very difficult run of managers for Leighton Orient. They'd struggled to sort of get any consistency. They'd had Eamon Rietzer, they'd had Steve Davis. And he just changed the atmosphere at that club from from top to bottom. Um, I think, you know, it's a bit of a cliche to say, but he was more than a manager at, at Leighton Orient. Um, he was involved in absolutely everything. And it just sort of, it seemed to just, just really wrench the soul out of the club when he sadly passed away. So, yeah, nice, uh, nice message from Dave Victor there. Yeah, and of course, our thoughts uh, still go out to Justin's family. And also, it was interesting to hear from Dave Victor. I know it's something you've mentioned in the past, Chris, about the, the, the gulf or the lack of the gulf between National League and League Two. And obviously, Barrow and Harrogate fans, if it does happen for them, will we'll see this firsthand next season. It was interesting that he thought the top eight or so in the National League would be fine and everyone below that would struggle. But he said there's some games more comfortable in the National League, whereas in League Two, it's full on every week. Yeah, no, I'd certainly agree with what he was saying about the the sort of top eight and nine clubs are, are, are a long way ahead of the rest. Um, I think when you watch a, a League Two game, you, you see players that you know from the National League. When you've been covering the National League for a long time, you say, "Oh, he used to play there. He used to play there. He used to play there," and they're not they're not out of the depth certainly in in, in League Two football. So no, I'd, I'd agree with with everything that he said on that. And it just shows and it just gives hope to those to those National League teams that they will be okay if they do go up uh, this season or, or in the coming seasons. Gives them certainly gives them something to, to strive for. And that is it. Well Ian, it's been uh, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you for coming on and, and clearing a few things up, a few of the questions we've been asking over the last few weeks and uh, it's been brilliant brilliant having you on the podcast. No, that's all right. Thank you for asking me. Uh, Chris, thanks for joining us. Yeah, cheers Luke. Dickie, uh, thank you. No, you're very welcome. It's been a pleasure as always. And Tom, uh, congratulations on your new role and thanks for joining us. Thanks very much. Cheers, guys. Don't forget to subscribe to us on iTunes and Spotify. We'll speak to you all very soon.